the cryptocurrency world will probably continue to stumble forward. But the bottom line to it is, we believe this rather strongly. If something has intrinsic value, it tends to have value in money. If something does not have intrinsic value, it eventually goes away. And the only thing that keeps it from going away is something similar to a Ponzi scheme, uh, a greater fool theory. Once more unto the breach, dear friends. Else fill the wall up with our English dead. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome to another exciting episode of The Personal Wealth Coach, starring Jake and... Jeff McClure. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the housing market, because uh, the, there's a series of pieces of news. People are kind of um, laying off on the concepts behind it and kind of... Uh, saying, of course, the housing market's down a little bit, but the Mortgage Bankers Association just came out with some statistics uh, this week on Thursday. And the statistic is a big one. Applications for new home purchases decreased 28.6% compared to a year ago. That's really big. Now, when we look at some of the other statistics that are out there about um, how many sales are up or down, um, that's more of a lagging indicator because people apply for the mortgage generally before they make the offer. Existing homes are down about 10.6% in sales versus a year ago. And so if new applications for mortgages are down 28%, that's rounded down, then that means next month's numbers from the different folks out there are going to be scary. Uh, There's going to be big, big drops in the number of sales. And just keep that in mind. We're going into, we're now in November. December is the month with the least likelihood of selling a house. um, So if you're in the market, and you've been wanting to buy a house and then interest rates started climbing up and you're used to looking over at a 3% and now we're not at 3% anymore, there's some mildly good news there. According to Freddie Mac, um, the average, so this isn't somebody of highest credit, but the average uh, 30-year fixed rate mortgage is at 6.6% right now. So it's not an ever-ending climb upward. It's likely to go up again. But with these other numbers, it's quite possible that we're going to see a downward-trending price for houses for the next few months. Now, don't expect that to last forever because we still don't have enough houses. And there's some other craziness happening in the world, but this kind of defines part of the reason why we've got overpricing. In Austin, Round Rock... 8.3% of homeowners in the area bought their home in the last year. Just think about that in a normal neighborhood. If one out of every 10, roughly, people were new move-ins, that's what we're seeing in the entire Austin Round Rock area. That's new homes purchases. 
Now, we didn't get an 8.3% increase in population during the same time period. It was like a 2.5%, which is a very massive growth rate compared to other areas. So what is that? Well, people are caught up in the frenzy and they're buying and selling from each other. That's really indicative of overprice. When somebody's selling a house and buying a new house at the rate of almost one out of 10 people. And there's some areas where like in St. George, Utah, 12% of the population in Cheyenne, Wyoming, 14% of the people have purchased their house in the last year. Um, so th- that kind of concept where people are purchasing houses at that rate meant that the interest rates were incredibly low. So we had this big boom which bid the house prices way, way, way up. And now we're seeing the opposite end of that. And that means that there are going to be people that have to really majorly lower the prices that they're charging in the next few months. When we get back to June again and people are moving for jobs, there's going to be a lot of hard decisions being made and we may see prices come back up and house purchases coming back up. Because once again, bottom line we don't have as many houses as we have people wanting houses and we're not building houses right now. It's basically come to a screeching halt because of mortgages. So that the real estate market is weird right now. Too expensive to buy, not enough of them. And that's usually reverse. When things get too expensive to buy, people start producing them in mass. Well, we're not seeing that because the labor shortage is too high. So as soon as we got more people on construction duty, prices would come way, way down. So this all comes back to supply and demand again. We don't have enough people to make houses. Those of us that are making houses can't make a house and try to sell it for the price that we have to charge because the expense that goes into the labor and to the equipment means the price is high. The interest rates being high means that people can't afford what we have too few of. So expect more people to get into construction in the near future. In fact, we're seeing layoffs across tech. Don't be surprised if they go pick up a circular saw. That would be interesting. Twitter employee looks for a meditation room and construction uh, project. Still looking three, three weeks later. This is really stressful cutting all these boards. Sorry, I went a little facetious there at the end. <clears throat> Actually, there's a, a bit of information. Uh, what we've seen is the applications for new unemployment insurance, which is theoretically an indicator of layoffs in the United States, not rise despite the fact we've seen more people laid off from tech companies than the total number of people that show up on the new unemployment applications. And the reason is Why because is that? they haven't hit the numbers getting, yet. <laughs> well, it's not that they haven't hit the numbers. They're going straight into other jobs. There's so much demand uh, in Silicon Valley and the places where Twitter and other and and the other places where people are getting laid off. There is so much demand for people with technical expertise, with the expertise that these people have, that they're not going on unemployment because they're going straight into a new job. Often, this is interesting with a raise. Right. So that's working out well for them. (laughs) So the net is that we're still creating more jobs. 
even though we're seeing now that is likely to reverse over the coming months as the interest rates at the Federal Reserve get raised more. Uh, and it looks like we have a consensus on that, by the way, of another half point raise at the next meeting. Um, I'm hearing it from just about every speech from a Federal Reserve governor. So it's likely just like all the other raises that they're telling us what they're going to do. Um, but in the meantime, we've got to play some commercials. This is a for profit a program, at least at the studio side, we don't get paid. Uh, so we're going to play some commercials and on the other end, we'll be back. But uh, if you'd like to join the conversation while we're out, the email addresses in here are jeff at tpwc.com and jake at tpwc.com. That's Tango, Papa, Whiskey, Charlie, or the personal wealth coach. And we'll be back on the other side. All right. We've got a lot more, a lot more to talk about uh, this week. Uh, quick update, you know, this is one of those things that we didn't, we, we kind of touched on over downturns in the past and haven't really talked about now. Rail car traffic and truck counts, You these are for us very leading indicators, um, are running at pre-pandemic levels. So generally speaking, this is true almost every year when you get into uh, the November time frame, you see the rail car traffic drop. Seems backwards, but that's not how toys are shipped and uh, electronics are shipped very often. Uh, usually they're shipping bulk items and things that are not fragile on the, on the trains where the trucks are used to ship the other things. So we usually see a drop in rail car traffic about this time of year, and we're seeing it. Um, we uh, are seeing an uptick in truck traffic, seeing that. Those are all things that are supposed to be normal this time of year. Um, First Trust has issued a whole bunch of stuff on um, from Box Office Mojo, on what kind of traffic they're seeing for box office, box office receipts, uh, movies, and such. We are back to pre-pandemic levels. And people, I know a lot of people are saying, well, weren't we already back to pre-pandemic levels uh, recently? We really haven't been. Even in the massive push to get back out after the pandemic, we've kind of hovered below the pre-pandemic levels for 2022. We're right up there with them now. Um, so steel production, way back up to where it was pre-pandemic. Hotel occupancy, back to pre-pandemic levels. Um, so uh, open table state of the restaurant industry, this is from open table. Uh, we're back to pre-pandemic levels. TSA checkpoint data, pre-pandemic levels. So when we're looking at the effect of the pandemic on the major service and hospitality sectors of our economy, we're still seeing an impact because of the displacement of workers and the prices are up at these places because they hired, had to hire people when there weren't enough people to hire because they laid people off. But we're utilizing their services at the same level that we were pre-pandemic, which is, from my perspective, that means we're at full recovery from the lockdown. 
And I have a, we've used the word recession when we're talking about the March 2020 event that led into April. It kind of spanned the last half of March and most of April and that everyone, you know, the, that was labeled a recession. We should call it something different. Um, I don't know what to call that, but just calling it a recession doesn't make sense. I mean, it's, it's not a traffic jam that caused you to be late to work this time. This was, nobody was on the road. <laughs> you didn't go to work because work didn't, period. It just wasn't. Um, I don't know what to call that, a lockdown, a freeze. But to compare it to what we might experience next year in a coming recession or what we experienced in 2008 or in 1996 or 94 or any of the other times we had recessions, it doesn't look the same. So yes, the economy receded. It did not grow. It shrank during that time period. But it was a weird one. And when we talk about the future, people often ask us what our outlook is for a recession coming up. We talk about all the leading indicators. Every one of them right now is down. That means that it, we've, we've never had a period where every leading indicator was down, that we didn't get a recession. And we're still saying uh, 60, 70 percent for the next 18 months that we have a recession. I'm saying 50-50. Well, 50-50 in the next 12 months, I would agree with. I'm saying 60-70%. Well, why is that? Why is it we're saying this? Because between the Great Recession in 2008 to what happened in the pandemic in 2020, we went 12 years without a recession. It was weird. Uh, prior to that, before the Great Recession... The entire century before it, we averaged a recession every four years. It was a normal part of life. It, they just round around, get rid of all the companies that were overinflating themselves, knock them out. They, we just need to clean them out of the system. We may have gotten used to not doing that. And it's weird because right now... If we were using the definitions that we used in the 1990s, for instance, we just came out of a recession right now because we had two quarters of shrinkage, negative growth in the GDP. Now, it doesn't make sense to call that a recession because we technically had growth in profitability across all areas. We just also had an inventory buildup. It's weird. Definitions are strange and who gets to decide if we're in a recession or coming out of a recession? So I say 60, 70 percent because we don't even know what to call a recession anymore. We don't know what to call the, the recession in 2020. We don't know what the definition of, that they're going to use for the next recession is. We were in a period of relative stability for a long time in the United States economy. And yes. during that period of time, some very, very fine definitions were made. Uh, very nuanced definitions of things like recessions. When we entered into a period of instability, which we have been in basically since the great financial, great recession, uh, and, and it was compounded dramatically by uh, the pandemic and is further compounded by the war in Ukraine and the weirdness that's going on in China, which is still part of the pandemic. Um, those very fine nuanced 
uh, definitions don't work very well anymore. Uh, they, they didn't, they wouldn't have worked very well prior to when they were set up and they're not working very well now. When everybody, not everybody, but when the vast majority of people in the United States are experiencing growth in their income, uh, businesses are experiencing growth. Uh, Above inflation. A good growth going on in the yeah. United States, but the GDP is negative for two quarters. Why was the GDP negative for two quarters? Primarily because of imports and exports, because we were importing a lot of stuff. We were buying a lot of stuff, which means that retailers in the United States and even wholesalers in the United States were making a lot of money. So we subtracted that from the GDP because we look at imports as a negative, which we, Jake and I have been railing against for years. This is silly. This is silly. Imports and exports don't have anything to do with whether or not we're having a recession. They don't have anything to do with profitability. If you're importing from your own company, if Ford is importing a part from a Ford manufacturer owned by Ford, all the parts owned by Ford, bringing them into the country should not be a negative on their profit. No trade occurred there. But we still refer to it it that way in the GDP. It's 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 not a negative on Ford's profit. No, it's negative it's, on on the gross domestic product of the United States, which is in essence the, the United States profit. It, the whole thing needs to be overhauled, but politically, that is going to be a really, really, really difficult and maybe impossible thing. Yeah. So when we're talking about recession and and the likelihood, even in here, we've got all the leading indicators saying yes, and us saying, well, maybe we don't know what to call it anymore. In a traditional sense, I would put it at a 90% chance that either we were just in a recession or are about to be at one in a reality of where we are in the world of profitability and so on. We're in great shape, which is really weird from an economics perspective. We're out of moving on to the real world um, beyond the <laughs> cryptocurrency collapse. <laughs> right. Uh, which I think will continue. It will probably, the cryptocurrency world will probably continue to stumble forward. But the bottom line to it is, we believe this rather strongly. If something has intrinsic value, it tends to have value in money. If something does not have intrinsic value, it eventually goes away. And the only thing that keeps it from going away is something similar to a Ponzi scheme, uh, a greater fool theory. Uh, It's crazy. And it indicates that we're in a crazy time and that accompanies the end of bull markets. What is intrinsic value? I mean, we we throw those terms around, but what does that mean? What is intrinsic value? Utility. Okay. So if you have electricity company bills... You have intrinsic value. No, not that kind mm-hmm. of utility. If you can use the thing, <laughs> it's usable for something, for something um, then it has intrinsic value. Well, that comes back to then why does the dollar have value? What can you use it for? Other you than buying things. For a lot of things. Well, you can buy things with it or you can accept you the can... sale proceeds with it. And that's what these crypto firms were trying to imply was the intrinsic value of their thing. But here's the issue, and I've, we've done whole episodes on that in the past, on this issue. Confidence, belief is a major component of intrinsic value. The belief that you can do something with it in the future. And when that is challenged, when the belief itself that you can use it to do something is challenged 
And people go, well, yeah, you're right about that, but it's still worth something. That's what we're talking about. When, when, if somebody tells me, hey, you can't use that dollar to buy stuff, I'll say, <laughs> yes, I can. Look at all the places with the prices and they have the dollar on it. When someone says, you can't use a Bitcoin to buy a pizza anymore, you can't say, well, yes, I can. I just use this combination of crazy combination of chaotic apps that are transferring all the Bitcoin pieces to this app and that transfers it over to there and then it gets converted into dollars and Domino delivers. Why? Did yeah, but you converted it into dollars exactly. before Domino delivers. And that's not using it to buy the pizza. You're selling it to somebody else so that you can get dollars to buy the pizza with. And Domino's at one point accepted cryptocurrencies. They started with Bitcoin and they said, this is great. And then they canceled it. As did so many, so many other people, other companies that thought, hey, this is great. People have money to spend. We'll take it even if they say crypto is money. But the fluctuation in the value of it made it impossible for those companies to be sure they were making a profit when they sold the pizza. And Domino's doesn't want to get into crypto trading to make its money. They want to make money on selling pizzas. And if they don't know if the crypto you just paid them with is worth 50% less 10 seconds later, they don't want to accept it. Even if it's possible it might be worth 50% more, they want to make their profit on the things that they can control, which is what goes into that pizza, what they pay to peop the people that make the pizza, how much it costs to transport the pizza to you, and what they charge you for the pizza. All of those need to be with a common denominator of one currency. Otherwise, it gets really, really complicated, and they can't tell if they're going to make a profit. And that's kind of important if you have people on the payroll and you want to get paid yourself. So crypto, the confidence behind crypto for use in a currency doesn't exist even in the vast majority of people that have owned crypto. They recognize that you can't buy stuff with it, the vast majority of them. There are ways you can buy stuff with crypto in microtransactions. There are businesses that are built around it. But there's also businesses that are built around the fact that you have to convert your dollars into credits and then you can buy at a restaurant at a casino. That doesn't mean you can take those credits to Walmart and buy something with them. And, and that's the reality of once the confidence is no longer there that this thing has something we can use it for and then the price still goes up, that's called a bubble by any definition. If you recognize you can't use the thing you're buying for anything except to sell it to somebody else, and nobody else can use it for anything else either, that's a bubble. That's where we're all just convincing ourselves that it's worthwhile when it isn't. Uh, intrinsic value is, is based on your belief and practical ability to use it for something else. Um, that's, you know, even when you're talking about something like gold, there's an intrinsic value to gold. It can be used to make jewelry. It can be used to make electronics. It can be used to make teeth. Yes, teeth. Even your normal tooth colored crowns and implants are generally made from gold as a major component because it doesn't 
oxidize. It doesn't turn into stuff in your mouth. So, yeah. And it's easily stored. And, it's and easily when I say stored. easily stored, one of the reasons that gold has the value, probably the prime reason that gold has the value it has today, which incidentally is down substantially from where it was a while back, is companies, not companies, countries, the, the, the country, by the way, that I think just officially became the largest country, India, uh, in population had passed China. Um, not officially, but the estimates are it's now past China. They don't trust their banks there with good cause. They don't have the equivalent of the FDIC, and they don't have the equivalent of our Federal Reserve. So families tend to store their value, their wealth, in gold jewelry, which occasionally gets worn. And as a result, it has an intrinsic value in the, in the, in, in the largest by population nation on the planet, when something has intrinsic value and is used as a storage mechanism for value, then you can pretty well depend on the fact that it has an intrinsic value. Now, for example, if India's financial system ever stabilized and they got the equivalent of the FDIC and stable banks, which eventually probably will happen, it would cause a cratering in the value of gold because people would be able to earn interest on their money in the bank. Right now, gold is a very poor uh, place to store value. Why do I say that? Well, gold was above, what was it, last year? Is that $2,000? Uh, it was above, above $2,000. It's around $1,700 yeah. now. The, the peak, That's about a 15% loss in one year. The peak for real estate prices and gold and cryptocurrencies all took place between February and April of this year, of 2022. Mm. They're very related. That's not when the peak of the market was. The peak of the market was in January. But they're pretty close. Yeah. The, why was the peak of the market several months before the peak of these others? Well, when the market starts down, and this is a great indicator, this is how we clean out fraud. This is how we caught Madoff. Madoff has this consistent, I'm going to give you 12% a year no matter what going on. And every year you got your 12%. Why would you ever sell that? Well, the market went down. The other market, the one that's not on Madoff's mystery super secret soup, um, the other market goes down and people say, well, I don't want to take money out of there for my income or for my boat that I'm buying or the house I want to buy or anything else because it's down I'll take it from one of my winners. So they go over to Madoff and they say, hey, give me some money from your firm. It's got all this gain in it. I have lots of money. And Madoff said, whoops, I had a lot of people ask for money and they shouldn't because I keep giving them so much money. But now that they realize that I don't have money, it's worthless. And that's what we're seeing across the speculative areas where people say, I've had all the, the money in the market has done so well. Well, now it's not doing so well, and I have to get some assets, so where do I get my assets? So there was a continued sale of crypto, which pushed those prices way down. And uh, crypto, man, if we're talking about gold peaked out at 2000 uh, Bitcoin was up at the 67000 and now it's at 16000 so where gold has dropped down to 17, 1,760 or so, its top was around 2,000, uh, it's, it's not as far down as crypto. Crypto assets are down like 
percent, 80 percent in some cases, 90 percent in others, and in some cases, 100 percent. Those that have just disappeared because they no longer exist, that they were pegged to the dollar and then they lost their peg. By the way, the, the largest air quotes around this stable coin, which are coins that are supposed to act like money market funds where you have a dollar in there and it pays you interest and so on. Tether, um, Tether's trading below a dollar and really has been trading below a dollar since uh, the 8th of November. And there was there were days in there where it was trading significantly below the dollar. Um, that you, why is it trading below the dollar? Well, because it's backed by crypto, and the crypto's all gone kerplunk lately. Um, this is this is the big question, and I'd like your input on this as well. Will this this particular collapse? I mean, we can look back at all the different collapses in crypto. Will this be the one? that's hurt enough people that they bring the regulators in and say, make sure that everybody's following rules. No. You don't think so? No. Um, I, I think the momentum is there for it. I think at some point we're going to have regulation of crypto, and this is pure opinion. So I'm not sure if this is the thing that does it or something else. When enough people lose enough money and complain to the regulators about somebody needs to be published and punished for this, and the regulators said, you know, last month when you said you really didn't want us involved, and this month you're saying you really want us involved because you lost money, um, at some point Congress will act. Now, I think the number of people who actually invested in crypto and lost significant money is such a small percentage of the voting population. The, the secondary effect are still there, but it wasn't mom and pop putting their savings in crypto because mom and pop probably weren't even interested in crypto. Um, you know, and, and how are you going to, to regulate crypto would take an act, of, a major act of Congress. Agreed. And frankly, for the next two years, you're not going to see Congress probably agree to act together on much of anything. Unless it's critical to the re-election uh, prospects in 2024, and I don't think that most of the people who invest in crypto probably don't vote anyway. That's probably so, true. No, I don't think. You know, if crypto became continued to become widely accepted, and crypto, for example, by the way, there were some major pension funds, uh, state pension funds. I think it was Illinois uh, that lost 95 million dollars when FTX went under, if major pension funds or banks or whatever got to the point where they were invested in crypto enough that when a collapse like this occurred, it put a dent in a public institution, a public uh, trusted institution, yeah, they'd get in. But right now what people are saying, man, who, who, whoever decided to invest in crypto in the Illinois State Pension Fund was stupid. That's... Um, so there, it's really hard. Congress often has tried to regulate stupidity, but right now I think they're promulgating stupidity instead of regulating it so they're not likely to regulate something that they produce. Agreed. That wasn't very nice, but it was true. And we're about out of time. This is the Personal Wealth Coach with Jeff and Jake McClure. Uh, this is the Personal Wealth Coach, and we do make uh, other statements than really bad puns about songs. Uh, we are uh, a, a finance 
program, as you would probably guess from the personal wealth coach being our title. The personal wealth coach is not just the title of the program. It's also the name of an SEC registered investment advisory firm. All right. Well, does that mean that the SEC likes us? What would you say to that, sir? I would say that the SEC is a professionally dislikes almost everyone. Right. That is no implication of the SEC's approval just because we're registered with them. Why is the radio program and the firm named the same thing? Because we have to give this disclosure no matter what it is, and it's less disclosurable. It takes less time to do if it's just the same name. So we've been doing this program here uh, on this on this station, 1400 AM in Temple, since 1996. We've been doing this a long time, and we haven't been paid for it ever. Uh, we also Man. have not ever paid for it. So we've been doing this a long, long time, and the whole idea is education. We do advertise as a firm for on the studio, uh, on the channel, for this radio program. We don't actually advertise for our firm. We're advertising for the radio program. So what we're saying is that this is educational, and we do occasionally get business from it, but our purpose here is truly education. That being said, it's not advice. Advice would be if I knew who you were, if the other bald guy, Jeff, knew who you were, and we were able to have a private conversation with you about things in your best interest versus broadcasting to everyone. So we're going to be talking about education, which is why we do the program to begin with. So those two disclosures are really one. And having said that, do you deem to tell us another disclosure? Yes. The information we present on this educational radio program has been obtained from sources we deem to be reliable, but we make no warranty or guarantee as to the accuracy or completeness of said information. And he really can't get through the week without that. I think uh, if you would like to talk to us off the air, we actually give individually, uh, individually crafted and customized advice based on what people are trying to achieve that's generally and portfolio management and portfolio management. And that's generally for people with higher net worths, but we make exceptions occasionally. Um, and so you can contact us locally voicemail available during the weekend, but actual real live people, no phone tree during the week at two, five, four, nine, four, seven, 11, 11. You can reach that line tool free at one, eight hundred nine, one, four, seven, five, two, six. That's eight hundred nine, fourteen plan. And I think it's important to note that we're an independent fiduciary firm. We don't work for a corporation. We only work for our clients. Right. Exactly. Uh, you can go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com. There's a contact form. You can use emails, Jeff or Jake at tpwc.com. There are uh, recordings of the radio program going back years, newsletters going back decades, uh, and you can find us wherever podcasts are given. Um, thank you very much for listening on a nice Saturday morning. And until next week, this has been The Personal Wealth Coach.